everybody. Welcome to Tell Me More Radio with Tom Shadiak. Tom Shadiak right here next to Christian. How are you, brother? Pretty good, pretty good. We Christian, a... yeah, go. Oh, we, no. we were talking before the show. We literally were saying, what are we going to talk about? Are we going to talk about what's happening in the world? Or you had a topic. What was your topic? My topic was memory. Um, that was something that came to me a couple of weeks ago, and it's been something I've been doing a little bit of research on, and I thought was... An interesting topic, but then right before the show started, we were talking about politics and everything that's happening in the world, and I was like, well... <laughs> well, let's we see. Should. Let's <laughs> see. Listen, you're, this is your guiding ship. I'm here to support you, but let me ask you a question. What was it that we were talking about that moved you or made you think? We were talking about some tweets or some Facebook posts that felt really myopic and you know somewhat narrow-minded. What was it that moved you about what we were talking about? Um, I think the responsibility that we have um, in our generation, we were talking about the election coming up and how very particularly our generation, young people who are deciding who to vote for, which direction to go, really have the power to really sway things. And it's an extremely polarizing um, election year. It's not even, I mean, it's always polarizing, but it's extremely, you know, bizarre ends of the spectrum this time around. It's true. You're seeing, you're seeing two different approaches to politics. And I believe they come out of the same system. It's not like Hillary's going to reinvent the system. But you see a reaction to what happened this weekend by banning people of a certain uh, religion, uh, by banning people from countries uh, from entering the United States that might even have some shred of terrorism or violence toward the U.S. in their populations. So versus maybe a more measured approach. And your generation, you're saying you're feeling like your generation is going to actually make the pick because where the the support is that we're with Bernie um, may end up swaying this election. Yeah, exactly. So what do you want to do? What do I want to (laughs) do? Well, yeah, we were all talking about Zach, Juliana. We were talking about like you feel a little betrayed. Um, Again, this all has to do with what's going on in the world right now. We can switch topics. Whenever, but, you know, because for the next four years, someone's going to stand up and represent us when things like this are going to happen. We still have a world that is healing. And who do we want to stand up? Well, and it's hard for me, too, because I I used to not have an interest in politics. I, I swung back and forth like a pendulum, really, because I was in eighth grade and I loved reading about political news and I listened to talk radio. I mean, I just thought I was so informed. And then I kind of realized that to me, that world of appearance and superficiality was very like artificial and not connected to my personal life. So I kind of thought art and politics could not coexist. I really just believe those are separate things. So I completely turned off the news for like five or six years of my life. Um, And then now we have a president that I'm proud of, um, Obama, and I actually like our president. I feel like he represents the, the good in what we can do in a progressive future. I mean, I drove by a giant solar farm the other, or a solar panel farm the other day. I just thought this only happened because of current leadership. I mean, we, there's a direction that we have in our minds that we have, we have a president who actually is representing that. And now we're going to switch to, you know, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And I am really not happy with both of those decisions. Um, Zach, did you? I was just going to say, I agree with everything you just said. And it's, we were talking about how we feel like sometimes it's not enough for us to rise up. It's going to take a lot more. And for our our age group, our generation, it 
it's hard because we talk about it like, oh, we can get out the numbers. We can all go do this. But then as soon as something doesn't go our way, we all drop it yeah. and we move on to something else that catches our interest. And it really takes an invested effort to make something actually happen. And I don't feel like we see that. Well, if I could offer something and then get get your feedback, I think what you're sensing is that change happens from the bottom. True change happens from the bottom up. It doesn't happen from the top down. I often have told you that uh, we don't have leaders in Washington. We have followers. And we need to give them something to follow. So I think your aversion to politics was a sense of that, an innate sense that somehow I want to be a part of the art of life that creates change. Now, we may, as you said, have a president now. Many of us are happy to have an intelligent person of color who is bringing art possibly into the political process. We know that's very controversial. We know a lot of people don't agree. <laughs> but my goodness, at least when this man stands up, I feel like he has the ability to empathize. Empathy is such an important quality in a leader. A leader's true character is measured by his ability to empathize and to listen. And so the response that we've seen over the past few days from others is not a listening. It's an I told you so. It's a third grade response. And to me, it's very young. I don't want to judge it. I, I don't want to say, that, you know, I still have third grade responses in me, but I certainly can look at it and say, I don't choose that for my, for my country moving forward. <laughs> to represent our country, that's a little frightening. But, but what do we do? What do we do? I'm asking you guys this because I feel the disenfranchisement in the room. There's only a few of us here today. What do we do with that disenfranchisement, that fact that you've worked for something, you saw a vision, you know, it was represented by Bernie, a more just world, and then it didn't happen. What do you do? Well, I mean, what I was looking for when I found out about Bernie Sanders, got very involved with the campaign, started going up to our local campaign center every day, standing on street corners, making phone calls. And I felt like I was doing something to move forward, a movement that to me was about climate change. It was about being able to trust our political leaders, getting money out of politics. And it was about reducing the violent crime that clearly is so prevalent in our community right now. But what Bernie is, what any president is, is a figurehead. He's somebody who says something that you like to hear and people can support that or not support that. Um, but Bernie can't change climate. Bernie can lobby to have certain policies, but he can't do it by himself. He can't do it without the support of Congress. He can't do it without the support of the U.S. people. So when we don't like something, what we need to do is say something. But as Zach and Juliet were both talking about before, there's a lot of disenfranchisement and feeling that our vote doesn't count and that the system is broken and there's no way to fix it. Right. Well, why does the if 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 what you're saying is true and I believe what you're saying is true if it's not Bernie and you've effectively wanted Bernie but it's not really about Bernie then what's changed I think it's about the conversation it Bernie shifted the debate and what we were talking about in the democratic debate and that was really important but it was the start, and that's what we need to see it as. It's the start of something. Maybe a lot of people have been saying a revolution, a political revolution. Sure, that's fine, but it ha this has to be the beginning. Bernie needs to be the catalyst for a larger conversation with a group of people who are emboldened to go forward and do something. Well, maybe it. he has done his work. Again, he 
probably has much more work to do, and we're not putting any outcomes on this. Maybe he's VP. Maybe he's head of some great program. But maybe Bernie's done his work. You know, one of the great revolutions of all time, uh, I'll go back 2,000 years to a guy who was starting a movement, a little fellow named Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then that movement, just when it was going, he was like, I got to go. Like, it's not going to work out for me. And everybody was like, well, you can't go. Right. <laughs> like, he's going, no, 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 my work's done. I've given you the vision. I've given you the vision. Love each other. Right? Love each other, right? Love each other. It's not about money. It's about, it was about community, you know, love, sharing, brotherhood. I gave you the vision. I got to go. So maybe this is another representation of that, because what happened after Jesus died is we showed up. Right. With our own ego. No, I know what he said. No, no, no. I know what he said. No, I got it. I'm going to start this faith. You start that faith. My faith is right. Your faith is wrong. Right. And so really we show up. And so isn't it all about who we are? And so if the revolution is really not going to happen, then it's not going to happen because we are not ready for it. And I, you know, something I noticed, especially in American politics, is there's so much comfort in so many people's lives. We were talking about this yesterday, the high walls. And, um, well, 901, by the way, nine, oh, I got to get closer to the mic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting a lot of instructions. Get closer to the mic, oh, Tom. Sorry. By the way, yeah, we can call us if you want, 901-260-5926, and join us again in processing, right, Christian, yeah. just sort of what's going on. And that includes you, Aunt Diane, if you're listening. Aunt call Di us. <laughs> yes, Aunt Diane. She thought the show was going to be on memory, so she might be a little uh, perplexed right now. But, um, but no, I, you know, yesterday... Wait a minute. Talking... Was the show on memory? I forgot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, oh bad <laughs> stuff. All right, go ahead. That's funny. We have an alternate. We can always just switch. Um... But no, she or, you know, our conversation yesterday dealt a lot with the idea of empathizing with other people and, um, you know, refusing to see other realities, you know, knowing, especially we're sitting right here, you know, all of us kind of, we're sitting in Soulsville, which is one of the most challenged neighborhoods in America. And a lot of us drive in and we could easily just look out the window and ignore, you know, the blatant problems around us and drive off and back to our nice little neighborhoods and, and not know, you know, if you're from a nice neighborhood, not notice that. Um, and I feel like when it comes to, uh, you know, politics, the idea of what am I trying to say here? The idea of empathizing with someone else, it's it, it's ultimately like the the biggest pillar is an in between these candidates and the left and right side. And I think it's almost healthy to see that, you know, we have an extreme figurehead on each side, because I think what it's brought out is like, Brooke, what you were saying, the conversation it switched from. Who do we want to elect to? Why is this system the way it is at all? Um, and I think that's a more important conversation to be having is why do we have a system that only favors certain people? Why are some people locked out of the gate? You know what I mean? What if I told you that we have the system that we deserve based on how involved we are, how much we care, how much we empathize, how much we drive by, you know, challenges and in the lives of others. Yeah. What if I told you that it's exactly the system that we deserve? Yeah. And until we call for another system, because we have re-systematized our own priorities, then a new system will emerge. And until that happens, a new system will not emerge. The system outside of us is not an accident. It's a reflection of what we care and don't care about inside of us. So our, our disenfranchisement is a matter of disengagement. Right. I just remembered. Good. I'm sorry, but that's... right. That's what I was, what I was, I forgot what I was saying. So I was, I was trying to roll with it, but actually. Well, psychically, I was right behind. <laughs> you were, yeah. You just got me back on track. So when I, you know, when I mentioned the glass bubble idea, 
the whole point of that was is really that in America we we have or a lot of us have the ability to do that. Where so what you see is there are no political protests. There are no people that are willing to shake up the system because the system right now is ultimately working for us. Like even if we have this political idea of, oh, that's not right. It's just really a statistic in the distance. So if you go somewhere like Turkey and you see students getting, you know, or Brazil right now and where the, you know, beaches are overrun with protesters, it's, you know, people who actually are pushed to the brink when they, they have to face the reality, they are the ones who make the change. And that's what scares me is it's like, what point will it take? Is our generation going to wake up because we're one of the most informed, connected generations that's ever been? Um, or is it, or is it going to, you know, I'm sorry. So are we going to are we going to look at the world or are we going to wait until it's at our doorstep? Well, you know? it's bread and circus. You have bread and circus. Right. Mm-hmm. And those people in Turkey who are fighting for bread and any form of education or opportunity don't. And so they're 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 poked and prodded while we're sitting on the cushion of advantage. We fall asleep. Our society is an affluent society. It's called affluenza. We fall asleep. Yeah. Now, yesterday was a very provocative conversation after the show because a lot of people in this room, young people, felt that, okay, I, I, I don't, I certainly don't want the right and that sort of myopic vision of the world to, to be our vision of the world. But I'm not voting left because that's the system again. The system beat my revolution. So I would rather have the tornado, I think was the word, the catastrophe, meaning possibly the the right the myopic vision which may create fear and may create some crisis would you rather have the crisis because what you're saying is right now we have bread and circus mm-hmm. we're comfortable right it's kind of working for us even though it's kind of not we want something different but we don't really want it bad enough yeah the generation before me the generation of the 60s yeah. wanted it bad because they were going to war they had to, they had a draft and two out of the three people in this room might be gone and then one of them may not come home. One, one may come home in a body bag. And that was like no chance. Brooke is not coming home in a body bag. Zach is not coming home in a body bag. I'm sitting at the White House today. Mm-hmm. But we don't have that. Yeah. I don't know, Christian. You said that we're the most informed generation. I don't know that I would agree with that. We might have access to the most information because of the way that the Internet has evolved. But I don't think I, I wouldn't argue that we're the most informed generation. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're right. It really depends on who you are and how you access information. But we have the ability to understand what's happening in the world, and we don't have the Internet sensors that a lot of the world has, so we actually can be informed, and a lot of us still choose not to because, like you said, it's we don't have to. I mean, it's even if I never can save a dollar and I just make just enough to exist, I'm still living a very pretty existence compared to a lot of the So planet. let me push you guys. What will it do? Okay. Part of it, Brooke, this is something that I said to you two or three days ago. We had a conversation about distraction. You, 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 you get into a space, you know what you want to be, but then you get distracted when it feels difficult. And I told you that distraction inside of it was the word dis, which means, you know, you get the word distant from this, move away from disconnection, disassociate and act or action. So it, we're getting dissed, moving away from action. What is it going to take you to move into action? You just saw 100 people. What if, if your brother was in the club, might you move to action? Um, if, if, if a cousin was in the club, you know, in Orlando, might you move to action? What would it take? What will it take to move us to action to say enough? I want something different. I want, I, I want something. What will it take? I'm, I'm, this is a question. This is, 
I'm, I'm kind of from my observation of the last few months, it took somebody to stand up who may or may not win the election, may not win enough delegates to do anything to say this world can be different. I feel it. I see it. I see it in you. I know you want it. Let's go do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what that's what started that. And we can't let that momentum go away simply because the, the players have changed. It's a dance and because the leader of the dance has changed. The dance goes on. The steps are the same. We just have to get up there and step. What does that look like, what does Zach? Look like? What 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 does it look like for you? Because I can feel the energy in the room. I feel us going like, oh man, this is kind of <laughs> right. Sorry, really that was a, try to spell that if you're if you're tweeting out the rushing. show. Um, it, it makes me really sad because I feel like the only time we ever ever band together and actually try to find changes after an extreme tragedy, and it takes loss of life for us to even see anything. Instead of, you know, treating the problem or trying to cure the problem at the source, we always just treat symptoms. And it's over and over again. And once it goes away, when something new comes up, we forget about what we were fighting for. Well, let me ask you this. I I was encouraging uh, one of our dear friends of the show, Adrian, yesterday, because a lot of us in this room, myself included, have used the word we. Not tell me about you. So you're discouraged. You told me that. But what will it take you? To, to, to do something in your life that you say, you know what, I, 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 I started moving. I For feel me, good about that. It's always been I want to belong to something. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself, and I have to find myself in that act, though. So, you know, it's, it's hard when you don't see yourself in the problem. And as soon as you can see yourself as being in, that, in someone else's shoes, the empathy that you're talking about, it changes your entire outlook on the situation. So... Right here, like we have a close friend who was in a very, uh, he was in a situation where he could have been at that club. He was there two nights before at the Pulse nightclub. And the night of the attack, he was going to go again, but his car window wouldn't go. It wouldn't go up. And he's like, well, I don't want anyone to break into my car, so I'll just not go tonight. He ends up being saved because of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, we know people that were affected by this. And, that's something that really hits close to us. And also, it, it shouldn't be just this situation. There are so many different things that are happening all over the world with schools, with like something I talked about yesterday. Bullying is something very close to my heart. And the same thing happens every day. And it's not just in schools. It's with religion. It's with all these different issues. So I'd say when people are put down, picked on, and made to be the other, that's what really drives me. Mm-hmm. And I guess if someone had it happen to them in their life, and they see it happen to someone else, you go, that doesn't feel good. I need to stop that. So I want you to think while I tell a little story uh, about what you will do in the face of what you now know. You know that a friend through serendipity, maybe through divine design, wasn't at that club. And what is it that you'll do to turn that empathy that you have for what could have been and is for a lot of people suffering today? Here's what I'm going to do. And I believe it has an import even though it's going to be a, a story on the radio. I think part of what has to heal is our, our prejudice against homosexuals. And I've told you that when I started to meet homosexuals, and, and, I, and I compared that to, I had the courage, we were talking before the show, about questioning everything. I was taught that that was just an abomination. And I realized after meeting homosexuals, it's not an abomination. So I'm going to tell you about a guy named Danny Taylor. Danny Taylor was one of the first gay people I really got to know in my life as soon as I moved to L.A. He's my improv teacher. 
a little emotional. Danny died of HIV very shortly after I met him. But Danny was the first person to see in me the talent of a teacher. Mm. He saw me not just as a comedic talent, but as someone who would lead others comedically, comedically. And when Danny got sick, he allowed me to teach his improv classes. That led directly to my career as a director, my, directly to my career as a teacher, because of the beauty of this one man who was gay, passed away very shortly after I met him, but left me with a belief in myself that I didn't have. I could no longer see a gay person as an abomination. I could no longer apply that title to a gay person. In fact, I applied the title abomination to the line that told me that gays were abomination. I said, that line is the abomination. And I tell you that story because I want others to know that if you like anything I've ever done, you should probably th be thanking this gay person, <laughs> this beautiful gay person, because you wouldn't have Ace. You wouldn't have Nutty or Liar or Bruce Almighty or this project that we're doing, One Family, because Danny was used, divinely so, to open me up to not only my talent and the beauty that existed in me, but to the beauty that exists in an entire community that I was taught wrongly isn't so. I believe that that little story and pushing Danny Taylor's name and energy into the world is a revolutionary act. Well, not a little story. I can offer him a very sincere thanks because you as a director and a teacher has changed the lives of the people in this room. And I think that's what we want to push forward when you're feeling something like this senseless loss. When I woke up on Sunday morning and I saw that 50 people had been killed and I had to sit with that moment and realize that I lived in a country that acts like this are becoming far too common and I'm complicit. I'm part of the society. I am, I'm a piece of it. And I had to sit there with that. What I need to start healing and the country needs to start healing is to have conversations like this. So I am able because of Danny Taylor to sit in a, in a room where I feel safe to share. I'm glad you, I'm glad you shared that. And I know we have to take a break. Christian, you can take us to break. But one of the points I wanted to make in making that story was when I asked Zach, what are you going to do? I'm not asking you how are you going to change the world. I'm asking you what's the, the, the Danny Taylor story in your life that you're going to tell tonight to somebody who might not know a Danny Taylor. What is the little thing you're going to do to just spark something? And then that leads to the next step, which leads to a larger step, which leads to a bigger step. And suddenly the world has changed. Well, I can't follow that up. That's beautiful. Um, we are going to go to break. We will return in a few minutes, guys. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Tell Me More Radio. And stop calling us. <laughs> yeah. Stop it. Please hang up. By the way, you can reach us at 901-260-5926. Welcome back. Tell Me More Radio. This is Christian Mayorino. Uh, Tom, would you like to say hello? Tom's here as well today. Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, before you left for break, we were talking about ways, you know, the stories that we share and the way that we can inspire other people. And Tom told a beautiful story about his friend Danny Thomas. No, I'm sorry. Danny Taylor. <laughs> I could tell you a couple of stories about Danny Thomas. He's inspired the heck out of me. Yeah, he's inspiring, too, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he wasn't gay, um, though, Danny was he? Taylor. No. Um, 
I, I leave that to uh, others. I, I didn't know. I did not know my uncle in that way. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, now that I made that awkward. If, if he if he was beautiful for him, I, right. I you know of course. But Zach, you did you have a story you wanted to share as well? Well, I was going to answer the challenge that Tom kind of put out to me before we went on break, and he asked me what I was going to do to change, you know, how I approached everything. And I thought about it for a few minutes. And, you know, I, I when I really look down, it, I think I suffer from the exact same problem that everyone else does. Everyone that's saying these hateful things and the people that are saying, you know, kind things, we all have the same issues going on. And it really comes down to fear for me. When I'm afraid of something, I avoid it. I avoid it and I don't attempt to understand it. Like mm -hmm. one thing I always think of, like I hate taking phone calls and I hate returning text messages. It's just a burden to me. So I'll just put it off and put it off and put it off. Same with the DMV. Mm -hmm. I, I fear going to the DMV. It's a weird thing. And I put it off and I try not to you know deal with it. But also when it comes to issues like personal issues and all these things, it you really, when you fear something, you avoid it and you hate it. And that's what happens with all these situations when it comes to gay people, when it comes to other religions, other races. When people fear something or they don't understand something, they tend to try to avoid it. Now, now just use the word I. I. So when I am afraid of something and I don't understand something, I think it's wrong. I think it's bad. And that's the exact same thing that everyone else is going through in this exact situation. So what I want to do is challenge myself to kind of step into my fear a little bit more. And by doing that, maybe someone else will take notice. And and, and yes, and how will you, so you'll answer a call that you wouldn't answer. i answer a call. And what are you afraid of? Who's going to be on the other line? Or just, do you have to perform? I mean, my fear would show up because I would have to perform. Everybody thinks that I have to be up all the time because I'm a comedian and I work in comedy. And when I'm having a normal moment of solitude or sadness or, you know, solemnity, they think something's wrong. Mine is more, uh, I'm kind of the guy that can't say no. So if someone uh, asks a favor of me, I am up and ready to go every time. So uh -huh. I know if I take that phone call and they ask me to do something that I'm not prepared to do or don't particularly want to do at the moment, I can't say no. I'll right. be like, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm there. And so it so, may not just be picking up the phone. It may be saying no. It may be saying, listen, I would love to help you, but to be honest with you, I... I I barely have enough energy to, to when I get back from work to, you know, get co get under the covers. And a lot of times it has to do with work because I get off work and I don't want to have to think about it until the next day. And sometimes I get a phone call from work right. or, you know, asking me to prepare for something that's tomorrow. Right. And it's just a burden. So Believe I it or not, this is a revolution. This is a revolution in your life if you do this because I had a similar thing where I had a hard time being. It's really about being yourself. And the truth of yourself is that I can't be everything for all people. It's exhausting. And I can't do it. I want to do it, but I can't do it. And when you share that truth, that really is just a more of an expression of who you are, you'll change your life. That doesn't sound very revolutionary, does it? But watch the dominoes that will fall in your life. I was afraid to speak up in a room because I was really afraid that if I didn't say the right thing, I wouldn't be loved because I wouldn't be seen as worthy. And mine goes right back to that exact same experience, that if I didn't help that person, then they wouldn't like me anymore. Right. Well, the demon that you have to face then is not in them. It's where? It's in myself. Right. And if the person doesn't like you because you're being you 
an imperfect but authentic version of you, what happens? If they don't like me for being who I am, then yes. I just need to drop it. That would probably be healthy. <laughs> I think in that moment you'll see if you are yourself and someone rejects you, well, I thought you would at least. You will have a feeling, I promise you, that's, oh, well, that was a release because they weren't really my authentic friend anyway. And I've never actually tried it, so maybe uh, <laughs> maybe it does feel better than the anxiety Here, I get from the phone call. Here's a big question. <laughs> Because it seems like the show took a left, right? We were talking about the world, and suddenly Zach got really personal, and he talked about something that lives in Zach. Somebody tell me why it's the same show. Like, why is it that in talking about the world, we drilled down into someone who felt a disconnection in his own heart, feeling a disconnection politically, feeling a disempowerment politically, and we drill down, and Zach owns up to he has a disempowerment in his own life, N unable to say no, to stand up for himself, to be an imperfect, perfect journeyer. You see how it's the same, how now it's going to manifest. I'm going to feel disempowered politically because the guy who was speaking for me isn't going to speak for me anymore, right? And Bernie, being a part of the universal intelligence, is playing his role in your life very specifically by saying, you got Bernie power in you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, right, Bernie didn't get where he got by, quote, pleasing a lot of people. You don't become a, quote, socialist in America by pleasing a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. You become a socialist in America by going, hey, I actually heard Jesus. I actually think what he's saying is pretty cool. And I'm not saying you turn that into a religion. It's funny, Bernie, I believe, is Jewish, as was Jesus originally. Great. He's a little closer to source, right? But he said, yeah, I like that idea. Nobody else does. So when I walk in this room, I know these people are going to possibly reject me, but that's okay. Everybody in the room was like, oh, my gosh, that guy has power. He literally said it's better to give than receive and was, like, living that way. He drives a what? <laughs> like, where's his status car? And so we're seeing the power that you have in you. Showing up in a dude who is just a like a little further down the road version of yourself. Well, I was never very politically involved. I never cared that much. And then I finally like I related to this candidate and something about what he was saying. And, you know, he was very genuine. That spoke to me. And I felt like, all right, I found a voice. And I guess you're right. I need to just have my own voice. And this is something that someone told me once that is so beautiful. We were, I was wearing church one day, and this young guy got up and just, he's so handsome, he could have been the next Tom Cruise, and he said, you know what, I'm devoting my life to service, basically. And everybody in the room went, this is so beautiful and so powerful, and so different than what we see in our culture. And then our very wise priest got up, who was just open to every faith, Father Ken, and Father Ken said, don't just give him the power of that beauty, because if you see beauty in him, it's in you. It just is waiting to be activated. So all the power you're seeing in Bernie is in you. It's simply waiting for the opportunity to be activated. I kind of have a similar experience um, when I went to mountain film, like this past time specifically. It's, it's really every time I go, I walk away. For those of you out there who actually don't know what mountain film is, um, it's a film festival that we all go to as a group once a year, and all the films are dealing with themes that matter. It's not just empty entertainment. Um, but 
I always walk away feeling inspired, but this year I specifically walked away feeling, uh, to be honest, a little discouraged. And Harold called in and we talked about that um, on one of the shows, but it it was kind of like, okay, now that my college career is coming to an end, I'm no longer in like the limbo stage where I'm like, oh, I can just kind of think about what I want to do. I actually am like ready to take concrete steps. And I thought, well, here's all these people who, some of them are younger than me, some of them are my age, but I feel like on a day-to-day basis, they probably wake up, you know, and, and do a little bit more with their time. You know, I may sleep in a little bit later than they do. There's something about my life. Is that why you were discouraged? Because you felt that others were doing more than you were doing? Yeah, and not just, like, in the sense of just comparing myself to other people, because I know we're all different. We all have different a- aspects of our lives. But my whole life has been this, like, struggle between me being super ambitious and yet stuck in this, like, chill time frame like i have i'm surrounded by family members who are very chill i've always lived in the suburbs never lived in the middle of the city most of the activities i was interested in i couldn't find in my school so i always felt like my life was delayed like i'll get into my passions later on when i have them available right now i'm just going to do school and this and that and so yeah there's this feeling of like am i doing enough like when i wake up i really feel guilty if i take time to relax or have like a chill day sometimes and you know, I've, I've kind of come to terms with that a little bit. But before the show, I was doing research and um, I was watching videos and I saw Michael Caine, uh, an interview with him. And he's one of my like he's just one of the best actors alive right now, I think. And someone who's definitely considered, I guess you could say, quote unquote, successful. And he was talking about how he spends most of his time just being lazy. He was like, I'm not always working on a movie like I just sit around a lot. And it kind of inspired me a little but. I, I understand, you know, back to what y'all are talking well, let, about. Let me, let me drill down with you because yeah. I feel a heaviness in you. Yeah, I feel heavy. <laughs> I do. I feel a heaviness. It's okay. It's a, it's a swirl of energy, and we're in a country today that's going through something, and we're all just, again, we're processing this as people, as families do. Um, but I feel a heaviness in you. And so um, I want to ask you and tell me sincerely if you know the difference between whether you're doing enough and whether you are enough. Do you know the difference, and can you draw a distinction between those two? It, honestly, it depends on the day, because there are days where I'm so, I call it like in the zone or like flowing or whatever, where I'm just, I know what the next step is. Like, if it's a day where I'm supposed to be sitting at Barnes & Noble for two hours, we like walking until a book catches my eye and I feel drawn to it, that feels right some days. And I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to be. I, I turn off my phone and I don't Let's feel see, guilty Hang about on it, one but. second. That's all still doing. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. asking if you know the difference between doing enough. That's doing. <laughs> I'm on a journey. I'm walking. I'm seeing a book. It's inspiring me, et cetera. Yeah. And being enough. I don't know if I know the difference. Because to me, that would be. Being enough is even when I'm not doing enough. Yeah. My being is still enough. I exist as I am. That is enough. Walt Whitman. He didn't say I exist as I am when I'm taking a walk and writing a poem. <laughs> I exist as I am, and that is enough. Now, Walt Whitman may have also been critical of himself and saying, you know what? I'm not writing enough right now. I want to go write. I want to go take a walk and see what I comes to me. Yeah. But he knew who, that he was enough. Yeah. I guess that is, a, that is a big struggle for me because I believe a lot in um, nothingness and, you know, living in the moment. Um and I try that and I can't like, I mean, I can, I, I give myself, I probably make myself sound way more high struggling than I am. My mom would probably be like, he's really lazy. Don't let him fool you. <laughs> but I, I, if I sit there and I'm like, okay, I'm in a beautiful garden. Let me just be at one with the moment. My mind immediately starts racing. I do feel like it's very difficult for me to just be right. 
for sure. Right. Well, this is your work. Zach had a fear, and I want you to think about this. I think we have a caller, but um, I want you to think about this, and maybe you can tell us on the next break. Mm-hmm. What is your step? Right. Zach admitted to a fear that he wants to look at that I can't say no. And maybe if I do say no and reveal myself, I might be rejected. Am I mature enough to take that rejection? I'm going to do that. But for you, it's what is it? What is the step for you to where you are enough? Your being is enough. And then you can go ahead on top of that beingness and say, okay, what do I want to do with that? I'm restless. I want to do something with that. But without the beingness, you're a ship. A watch. So what? Yeah. I want to know what that step is for you. All right. You want to grab our <laughs> grab our call? Yeah, sure. Um, and Christian, while you're talking, I hear what we always talk about. I hear judgment of yourself, and it's so funny because you're not a judgmental person. You don't judge other people. You can look at someone else and say they're on their own path. They're working something out, and that's beautiful. But when you talk about yourself, if you tell a story that's longer than 10 seconds, you say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for talking so much. (laughs) People want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear what you have to say. I'm here for you. (laughs) I love you, bro. Don't apologize for speaking. All right. So let's go ahead and bring Adrian on air, somebody else we love. I like to hear him, too. (laughs) I'm always glad when he's talking and hosting. Oh, thank you. We're going to have a show, Adrian, where he's just being. It's going to be a very uh, quiet show, <laughs> but he's just going to have to be and be enough. And that's going to and be just, a show. And just soaking it all in. Yep. <laughs> when, I, when I called, I had a thought in my head and then got so wrapped up in, in what you guys were talking about. I'm kind of lost now. Um, but but you, were, you were talking about feeling like you need to do. And we were talking at the beginning of the show about the big political, big scheme of things kind of thing. And the the thought that came to me was that, you know, we did, here I go with we again, we in, have, have made what Bernie's message is part of us. And we, we took it as a call to action when he came on the scene. But that, you know, the, those kernels of, um, perspective and 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 want to action are still there, and we need well, Adrian, to carry we, that with us. We know what Bernie's message is, but I want to know what your message is. What is Adrian's message? And if Bernie's message is part of that, that's great. But what's your message? Yeah, Bernie's message is is part of it. Um, yeah, my my message is it is don't be afraid. To stand up and make some noise. Um, if so, if now the next is, logical question is: What noise are you going to make, Adrian? <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I mean, you call us. Um, that's a little I, noisy. I have, I have the, the numbers to the state legislature and the Congress speed dial on my cell phone, and you know that I can't go out and do a lot of things, but I can take two minutes a day if there's something going on. To call my representative and give him my two cents worth. Now, wouldn't that be and something? So that's a little wouldn't way that be something? That's a that's a big way. It wouldn't that be something? I, I don't know if there's many youth or even people my age that say, "Okay, enough of the AK rifles in the hands of people that number one have been interviewed by the FBI, <laughs> even if they haven't found anything." Let's just not like go there. <laughs> and then with any one of us citizens, why do we need an AK? Right now, if we did what. Adrian's doing on mass and we just jam the phone lines. That'd be it. Like guys, we're not hanging up. Congress will never be able to make a phone call again because until that bill passes, we're done. 
A number of years ago, I went to a march in Washington on the Mall that was a rally for Darfur when that was in, you know, in the early stages. And I remember one of the speakers saying that they talked to, it might have been Senator Paul Simon at the time, but they were talking about the massacres in Rwanda. And what the senator said was, nobody called to say, I'm outraged. This is what I think our country should do to get involved and to stop this. And he said, the, you know, the calls didn't come, so the United States didn't do anything. And for right. me, that made a profound impact. Right. Right. Well, we're going to have to take a break. And I think that that is a profound idea. Again, the simple act of committing to calling your congressman, your representative and saying, I, I this is what I want. If you want my support. And then again, if that energy can ripple out into one, ten, a hundred, a thousand, et cetera, things can change. All right. We're going to have to let you go, Adrian. Thank you. Okay, thank, thank you, you for guys. calling. I'm going, take, I'm going to take as a quick call for a story again before we go to break. It drives me a little nuts, so that means it's still in me. I hear this all the time. <laughs> I wish the government, I hear this from wealthy folks, like uh, God bless Warren Buffett. Again, this is not a judgment, just something I've heard. I wish they'd tax me more. I hear this all the time from wealthy people. I'm like, why do you need someone to tax you more? Why don't you, give you, why don't you do it now? Why are you waiting for someone to tell you to be more generous? Go be more generous. Like, what are you waiting for? Okay, that's it. <laughs> Warren just turned the show off. Well, that's a great... <laughs> I love you, Warren. I know we have to go to break, but that's a great example of trying to separate the political from the personal, you know? Um, so I guess we'll talk about that when we come back from break. But uh, we'll be back in just a minute, guys. And you can reach us at 901-260-5926 if you'd like to join in this condo. Welcome back to Tell Me More Radio. This is Christian Mayorino, your host for the day. Um, and before we went to break, we were talking about um, things. Well, we were we were talking. Tom posed me a question. He said, "What could I do to learn to be more rather than just always try to do more?" Um, and to know I, that you're enough. To know that I'm enough. Right. Sorry. To understand the differentiation between knowing that I'm enough yeah. and not doing enough. See, and that's that's something that like I wish I could just pop out an answer but i feel like it's such an intrinsically like deep part of who i am to be restless that i don't even know how to separate that like i know that i can learn to be all right with being uh, can i suggest to you that the deepest part of yourself is to be rested and that you have learned to be restless and that that restlessness can be of great use can be of great service because i want you to do everything that you want to do yeah. i want you to do quote more if that's what your heart is telling you. But the, 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 the peace of knowing that you are enough while you go through the roller coasters of doing more and resting a little more and being tired and without that knowing that your being is enough, yeah. you're going to have a very, very, very challenged life in terms of energy and perspective. Uh, I have a question for you, Christian. Uh, so you travel a lot. You go to a lot of different countries. You have seen a lot of the world. So I was going to I was kind of wondering when you're in a different country, when you're, you know, exploring, doing your thing, adventuring, basically, 
do you feel like you're wasting time when you're just hanging out, going to different places? Or do you feel like being while you're doing what you love to do is enough? Um, that's a really good, interesting question. Um, the whole point of traveling for me is to exist in the moment more, like to remind myself to actually live in the moment rather than just letting days pass by. So in that sense, I would say that I am more content with just the daily things. Obviously, when I was in Brazil and I like went into a grocery store, I was like, oh, my God, like Brazilian toothpaste, you know, like everything's <laughs> cute and cool and all that, um, which actually the deodorant there is different. Um, but I uh, at the same time, though, like the last major trip I took was like a year ago, and I actually stressed myself the heck out because I expected this like big tourist infrastructure and to like show up and meet people and just have fulfilling days. And I got there and I was like, oh, wow, I'm just another person. Like I was in Tokyo and mm. it's like super populated, you know, and everybody there's an energy there where it's like it's. OK, well, let's go back to some language. I'm just another person. Well, OK, that sounds I mean, you're no, literally no, 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 running no. over people in the subway like it's. I know. I know. But the idea that, OK, I'm not standing out. I'm not. Well, I'm I'm not having a unique experience. Yeah, that I I felt like I wanted every moment to be magical, and I I got there and I was like, oh, what do I do for two weeks? Like right. I'm here alone. I went alone because my first solo trip was like so brilliant. I showed up and like just met friends. Yeah. And... See what a guru does for people is make them face their fear. So, um, I forget the mystic who said, uh, you know, what is your practice? He said, uh, you know, I walk in the garden. And I'm in the garden when I walk in the garden. And when I'm toasting a piece of bread, yeah. I'm toasting a piece of bread. And I think it was uh, not John of God, but um, he wrote a beautiful short book on prayer. Everybody ran to him. What yeah. was he doing that was extraordinary? Just embracing the ordinary. And there's something in you, which, again, we can drill down at some point. But this is your revolution. Yeah. Because if you remember, we talked yesterday about lighthouses don't go saving people. They just sit on the shore and beam and therefore they beam their light and therefore they save other boats. Yeah. Right. But if your light is dim because you're so hard on yourself and you haven't been rooted into, oh, well, I am enough. Yeah. Even when I'm just sitting in a subway. Right. Like amongst a sea of people, we're all fish at this moment. <laughs> but that's a moment. Yeah. You got to go deep, baby. <laughs> we got to go deep. I found You're one right. of the most beautiful experiences I ever had in a New York subway. Yeah. Just by uh, not believing what people have told me outside how rough and difficult New York people can be. And then the fellow sitting there with some pictures from some event he went to with his son. And we started talking about it. And it opened us both up. And we both found the magic that was in here, not out there. We could be who we wanted to be and who we were together right there in that moment. How do we worry about, are we on a subway with a million freaky people or mm -hmm. fishes or didn't matter? You know where else yeah. that happened was amazing in the concentration camps. Yeah. With all the death around them, they were able to find life in that moment between each other, even a smile, even a laugh, even a jest, because they realized that it wasn't just all dark, even though we may be heading to the gallows. This moment between you and I is still a beautiful moment. We're engaged. We're yeah. not disenfranchised right. because we're not disengaged. Right. We're engaging that, and we're doing it from here, from the heart. I'm pointing at my heart, listeners. <laughs> we're doing it from the heart right. and not right. from the head. We don't have to think about it. We just simply allow it to be. Yeah. And allowing things to be can be a challenging in a world that 
has expectations of you doing something so you're worthy. Right. Your worthiness doesn't come from what you do. It doesn't come from what I do. That's not my it's experience. It's a part of what you do, but it's yes. nothing defining. Here's a very quick story because I know we're wrapping the show up. But it's very instructive, I believe, for you. When I was your age, the only rest I ever got was when I got sick enough to be in the hospital. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? That's the only true rest I ever felt because I couldn't do anything, right? I couldn't, at the time, there were no computers. This is like 30 years ago. Couldn't bring a typewriter in. I couldn't write. I was too sick. And so I rested and I got off the treadmill of having to do. And it was one of the first places I ever got in touch, strangely enough, in a hospital with a human being rather than a human doing. Mm. And I found value in it. And it instructs me now. That's beautiful. A human being instead of a human doing. That's awesome. Should we just be quiet for the rest of the yeah. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Let's guys, just we're going to sit in silence for the next two minutes. <clears throat> no, but Art, I love what you're saying. It's To me, it's all about presence, and I'm learning more and more every day what that looks like. But, Tom, I, I don't think I know how to toast a piece of bread. I don't know how to focus in that much on something so small. Um, we're going to do a show on poetry soon, but Francis Panja is... French poet who talks about objects and just one little thing, how it can mean so much. And we, we can just glance right past it. So I encourage you guys to check him out. We'll definitely mention him when we do that poetry show. And the funny thing is, is that's what you got tricked to in Brazil. It was a tube of toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a different yeah. tube of that's toothpaste. Right. That's yeah. right. There's a right. great poem that, speaking of poem, there was a time, see if you can follow this, it's Wordsworth. There was a time when meadow, grove, and stream... The earth and every common sight to me did seem appareled in celestial light. <laughs> it is not now as it has been of yore, turning where so where I may by night or day, the things that I have seen I now can see no more. Damn, man, I should be a I would poet. also <laughs> like to point out that he did not read that. That no, came I'm, from somewhere in the I started, the you know what, this is a practice that I've had because like you, Christian, like you, Zach, I was co-opted into ideas that were, that pulled me away from my true identity, my authenticity. So when I started hearing poetry, I started memorizing it. Remember the poem, If? Oh, I, the first poem I ever memorized, and then I started memorizing them because the things I thought about, I eventually became. Well, we just... Kind of did circular. Is circular. that music in my head? <laughs> it's not in my head, yes, is it? Yes, and also in the rest of our heads. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, guys, uh, well, that show the show was about, supposed to be about memory, so we kind of ended on that. But um, uh, that was, you know, that was good for me. It I was think. about memory. Like, yeah. let's remember who we are. Yeah. That's you know, human beings instead of human doing. That's something I'm definitely going to take away from this. Um, we appreciate all of our callers, <laughs> all one of you. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, guys. We're glad to have Tom back in the studio. And uh, I hope that we could shine a light in your life today, start a conversation, get you to maybe delve a little bit deeper like I have. Um, we will see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. We love you. Peace. <laughs>